This morning we're going to be in John chapter 15. And we saw in chapters 13 and 14 where Jesus gives this sobering message to his closest followers on the earth, his disciples, of his imminent death by crucifixion. Mixed with that, and often as God does, is he also offers us words of encouragement. What he does is he explains to them that he's going to rise again. So this is the blessing about what Jesus is doing. I'm going to die for your sakes, for your sins, but I'm going to rise again. And he also lets them know, and us as well, and that's the beauty of the Bible, is it it was written 2,000 years ago, the New Testament, and then even the Old Testament further, but it, it applies to our lives as well. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. You know, in my father's house are many mansions. So Jesus, even for the believer individually, Jesus goes and he prepares a wonderful eternal abode for every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of chapter 14, Jesus says to the disciples, arise, let us go. And there's subsequent chapters that are going to continue that we're going to read where Jesus continues to teach. But it does appear that what he does is gathers the disciples they get together, they get whatever they need for the, for the trip that they're going on, and they leave the upper room, which is probably in Jerusalem, uh, going eastbound, probably crossing the Brook Hidron, uh, into the area of the Mount of Olives, where there's vineyards. And he continues to teach his disciples. He wants to pray with his disciples. He wants to prepare them for what's going to happen, right? He wants to be in communion with the Father, And we know that his arrest is in this garden of Gethsemane. So we can almost picture the Lord, and we love his living parables. I mean, he's God in the flesh. So he he says, well, gee, let me explain something to you. And here, let me show you it as I explain it to you. And we know that studies have proven even today that the best way to learn is when somebody shows you and they bring you along with it instead of just teaching. Okay? So you can just picture our Lord as he passes through the vineyards, And whatever vines are there, whatever fruit is growing, he starts to point out the different parts of the vine and the branches and the fruit. So as I I read these first 11 verses, we're only going to cover 11 verses today. But there's so much power in this that I only wanted to cover 11 verses. I don't want to rush through this. So you could picture as we read this that Jesus is showing his disciples the vineyards and the different parts of the vine and the fruit, etc. as he goes through this. And we're going to try to take from this Seven points of understanding. So in verse 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So the first understanding, the first point of understanding is this. The Lord assigns symbols and roles, or he assigns roles to the symbols that he speaks about. So let's start with number one, and there's four of them that I'm going to cover. Number one is God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the horticulturist. He oversees and cares for this plant and its subsequent crop. Now, the word vine and vineyard has been used many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament with different meanings, but there's, there's, some, there's some parallel meanings there. Now, two, Jesus is the true vine. Well, if he's the true vine, that, that must indicate that there's a false vine. There's false teachings out there. There's cults out there. There are things that look and smell like Christianity, but they're, they're off. So Jesus is the true vine, and we're going to talk about how he, he's the vine, not the church, not the doctrine, not the denomination, but Jesus is the vine. The vine is intimately involved with the branch as well as its source of life. And when I covered the Christmas message, we talked more about Jesus, how nothing was made unless it was made through the Lord Jesus. So he gave us physical life, but he also gives us eternal life. He gives us spiritual life. He's the source of both lives. He is the life the Bible says. Three, the branches, which we'll get to, are people. And people have a decision to make. They could go it their own way, or they could be plugged into the vine. They could do and follow the Lord. And that is also a choice for everyone in this room and everyone who reads this and understands what the Lord is saying. In life, and I have to tell you, still, I'll let you know when I get to the halfway point, but I lived more years as an unbeliever than a believer. I'm not going back there. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to stay plugged into the vine because that's where my purpose, my success, that's where you know, it all starts to make sense. That's a choice that we all make. Verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he makes it easy for them, gives them a soft life. No. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus explains branch separation based on fruit production. And there's only two choices, either to produce fruit or to not produce fruit. And there's only two outcomes, which we're going to talk about later, to be taken away, and we're going to see what happens in verse 6, or to continue to be pruned. Now, this begs the question, what is fruit? And that's the fourth symbol that we come to this morning, fruit. When I, when I read this, I, I love fruit. I'm thinking about a nice pear or a, you know, a whatever, whatever fruit. You know, I, I, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about physical fruit. We're speaking about spiritual fruit. And we're going to list some of them. Number one, something that we can produce as believers with the Lord working through us. Number one is to win others to salvation. We see that in Romans 1.13, John 4. And even if we do a small part in planting a seed, we fall into that category. I, I didn't, actually didn't play it. Maybe one day I will. But Penn Jillette, famous atheist, can be crude at times. Never thought I would hear this on a YouTube video. He, he runs into a Christian businessman. Christian businessman gives this guy, Penn Jillette, this atheist, the gospel. 
Pendulet says, and you can, you can find this on YouTube, he says that, well, I'm not ready or I don't buy it, I'm still an atheist, but he goes, that man had an impact on my life. And you know what he said? It was an open call to Christians. He said, if you really truly believe that you're going to help to save my soul by telling me about the truth of the gospel, how much do you have to hate me and other believers to, to keep it to yourself? You know, every once in a while, God uses these atheists. I don't, I don't want to beat them up. I don't want to shut them down. I like to listen to them because they keep us on our toes. Because if we have truly the truth of everlasting life, we want to share it. Now, it doesn't mean that we all go out there with sandwich boards and in the middle of New York City and stand on a crate. Hey, some people do that. God bless them. It's not for everyone. It could be a simple, gentle witness to a coworker or a family member over the years as God grows you in his word and his understanding. Two, to grow in holiness. Now, some people get scared. I actually did a, a message. I think I titled it, you know, what's so scary about holiness? People get frightened. Well, I can never be holy. You know, if that means that I have to take a vow of chastity and poverty and, you know, not talk, it's hard for me. Um, I can't do it. Holiness really means to be more Christ-like. As we grow in our faith, people see something different about us, and what they see is the fact that we start to emulate our Savior. Okay, so holiness, Romans 6.22, and eventually to do something with that once we have matured in Christ, not to leave it in a pretty curio cabinet, but to be used for the Lord's glory. Three, generosity, Romans 15. Four, using our spiritual gifts as a result of a relationship with the Lord Jesus. As a new believer, it takes a while. You say, well, what's my spiritual gift? Read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Eventually, the Lord will reveal it to you. Slowly. He's a gentleman about things. But to use those spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Five, the embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, do we always get a perfect score every day on all nine of those? I don't. But, you know, it's when we're in the Spirit, we start to embody these. Six, good works or service, Colossians 1.10. Now, let's go back to this bearing fruit idea. So what does that mean, Pastor Joe? Is there, when I become a Christian, there's a quota i got to fill? You know, God's up there as a bean counter, and he's, he's checking to see how much fruit I produce? Absolutely not. It isn't forced fruit. It isn't contrived fruit. It is a natural fruit. We do because we already are. Once we are, then we naturally do. It's not a forced thing. When you see a fruit on a tree, uh, it, it doesn't stress about how ripe it's going to get and how quickly it's going to happen. It just happens. It's what that fruit does and what that branch bears. So what happens to the, the branch that bears fruit? That's a good thing, right? I could see, Pastor Joe, at least a few of these. If sometimes, you know, I, I fulfill these. Jesus says, it gets to be pruned so it produces more fruit. Pruned so it produces more fruit. Jesus said to the disciples, look at the harvest. Look at those people out there. Look at those souls that God created. They need to know the good news of salvation. They're ripe for the harvest. Right? There's some fruit that can be produced by, by winning these people to salvation. Now, when we look at vegetation... We look at vegetation in the natural world. Every once in a while, I do a demonstration. 
Where's Russ? He usually is good for a demonstration. Can we get you, give me your finger. No. He kind of, he saw the shears and he took off on me. But, <laughs> but this is actually a part of my fig tree. I love figs. Isn't that nice? But these are kind of nasty. They're all shriveled up. I actually went yesterday and I cut this. I have it uh, wrapped with, with straw and, and burlap and, you know, because every year it produces some really nice figs. Now, this is a tree, not a vine. But you can see that these figs are shriveled. Now, in the springtime, I have to use this <laughs> to cut this off because this isn't fruitful. I have to cut a lot of these shoots back so that that tree can uh, bear an abundance of fruit. You have to take care of your vegetation because if you don't, it'll die. It won't produce. You know, I actually had to run some of this message through my wife because she's a master gardener. And I had to make sure all my terminology was right. But pruning is necessary, and these things are really scary looking. They really are. And, and they're really long, so you can get some nice leverage and lop off a big branch. Dead parts of the branches, there could be blight, there could be uh, pest infestation, there could be um, you know, a whole host of things, bird nesting that you don't want because it, it, it damages the lower parts of the shoot. And we have to cut these things off. Now, God has one of these too, by the way. Because if you read what I just, if you heard what I just read, he has to prune as well. And his don't look like this, and they're all rusty, but his are spiritual. You know, he's got special tools that he uses. And when he comes after us with these things, it's scary as well. Because you know what he does? He finds a part of our character that's holding us back. And he has to prune. You know? I could just imagine the tree, if it could talk, when springtime comes and I unwrap it and I come over with this thing and it looks at me and it probably thinks, oh my goodness, I have no legs, I can't run. You know? <laughs> We've got to be willing and available to God to use his pruning shears on us to prune those parts away that are not good for us. And why? Because he loves us. Now, let me just give you a personal experience. If you think that I like it, when God comes after me with these things, you got another thing coming. Not a chance. I can say, well, Lord, look at the church. It's a really nice church. They're really nice people. I'm starting to really get a hang on the word. Hey, we're good now. And God says to me, not a chance. <laughs> so he still starts to, to cut away at the things that he doesn't like in me. Right now, some of you may be going through this. Right now, this message may be ministering to you because he is pruning you. Right now, you may be saying, you know what, Lord? I'm starting to really understand you. I'm starting to really love you. And uh, things are happening around me. There's some painful things, Lord, that are happening in my life, and I just want to serve you. But take heart, because the fruit that you produce, he wants you to produce more fruit. That's the goal. That's the goal to the spirit-filled believer. Now, there are doctrines out there that teach that God every day wants you to be happy. You're always up here. You're always way up here. There are peaks and valleys. Always want you to have money in your bank account. Always want you to be uh, healthy. You never get sick. You know what that produces? It produces spoiled Christians. And that's not what God wants. 
So that doctrine actually makes no sense when you read the totality of Scripture. And even in this church, God doesn't want spoiled, churchy people. Because when new people come in, he wants you to love them. He wants you to show them what being a Christian is all about. I think there's plenty of churches that for many years, they never grow and they stay real small. And, and you know, it's not always, there's always different reasons, but um, maybe he can't use them. So that's something to look at. Personally, I would rather that God take away the diseased and unhealthy parts of me so I don't stagnate, so I don't get to the point where something horrible happens and he has to remove me from teaching his word. I really love doing this, but he still has to continue to prune me. God is in the restoration business, brothers and sisters, and we have to allow him to restore us. You know? Verse 3. He says to the disciples, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, so God's word made the disciples clean. Are we introduced to a new concept? The answer is no. The Greek word for prune that we just read in verse 2 actually comes from the root word in verse 3. So there's a similarity here. Three words that we can take from this. Number one is to prune, is to purge. Sometimes the Lord purges his church. Sometimes when the church isn't doing what it's supposed to, you know, in in Constantinople, it was a very fleshy church, it was a very worldly church, and he allowed the Islamic Empire to come in and to just totally wipe out that church. Because it was, it was, they were worshiping icons, they were, they were idol worshipers, and God was saying, that's not a representation, a representation of me. Now, this is my own opinion. But the church didn't stand. It was completely wiped out. It was destroyed. He has to purge, not us, only as us as individuals, but he has to also purge us as the church. So what? There can be more fruit. So what? More people could get saved and come into the kingdom. It isn't about what we want. It's about what he wants. He loves people. Now, sometimes people get on our nerves. If we're honest with ourselves, people get on our nerves. But he loves those people that get on our nerves. And he wants them to be saved. So to prune, to purge, to cleanse. In Ephesians 5, it says that Jesus cleans his bride, which is the believers collectively, with what? The washing of the water of the word. God's word is is a cleaning agent. It's a cathartic agent. Now, what's the story with the disciples? Well, he didn't say, you guys are my favorites. He doesn't say, you're better than everybody else. He said, you're already clean because of the word. Now, remember, they walked with him for some three plus years. So every day, as he spoke, the word of God was coming out of his mouth. And it was affecting them. Now, they're going through a hard time right now. They're going to lose their Messiah. He's going to be crucified. But all that word, all that washing is going to remain in them. And when they start to come to their senses and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they become incredible pillars of the early church. So he goes, you're clean. It's the the word that I gave you. Now, let me just take a moment to speak about the church. What's the purpose of a church? What's the purpose of our church? Well, we should be glorifying God. We should be learning the word. We should be growing in the word. And people should be getting saved. Sometimes churches get into this thing and, and it becomes... You know, it's almost like the children of Israel, when they started to become prosperous, they became a little worldly. They got really high on themselves. And then they got into idolatry and all kinds of things, and they crashed. And then they sinned. 
and they had to be restored and forgiven. They had to start all over again. It was this cycle. Sometimes churches do the same thing. The temptation is to become an events-driven church. Events, 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 events. Well, okay, so we have 100 people come out to this event, 130, and these are real numbers that I'm using to other ones. However, how's the attendance on our prayer nights? Women's prayer, men's prayer, women's Bible study, men's Bible study. We can only look in the mirror and ask that question. Are we all excited about events, but we're forgetting the fundamental things that we're supposed to be getting built up in? Starting in January, we're going to, we have a new policy as a leadership here, and anyone who wants to run an event, that, that's great. We could use the help. But you also got to be plugged in somewhere to the word and prayer. And that's, that, uh, you know, that, that's non-negotiable. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So the third point that we understand here is that with fruit, it's not possible, to, or sorry, with the, with the branch, it can't bear any fruit unless it's plugged into the vine. Makes sense. Water, nutrients, was it Cambria and, you know, some special words that my wife knows that, that go back and forth in the transportation system within the vegetation, and that's a pretty neat thing. But for us, we have to understand as, and I'm going to go back and forth because Jesus is doing it. That's the only way we're going to understand this. We're going to talk about vegetation, and we're going to talk about us as people, and we're going to keep going back and forth as he did. So we also have to understand to produce that spiritual fruit, we have to be plugged into the vine. We have to be receiving his spiritual nutrients and his spiritual hydration. That's the way it works. We know that we really can do nothing on our own if it's true fruit. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about uh, our works being burned up. <sighs> hey, I did that. Look, I did that. We get to heaven and he goes, <sighs> it burns up. Does it stand the test? Is it real fruit or is it something that you did, a self-aggrandizing pursuit, so to speak? See, this is not dull rote religious obedience. This is a loving, spiritual, intimate relationship with the God of all creation. Jesus wants to know, he wants us to know where our power and strength come from. Now, sometimes I'll read what he says and he keeps repeating it and then I say to myself, hey, count how many times he does that. So in this 11 verses, he either refers to himself as the vine explicitly or implicitly, as well as referring to an abiding relationship with him no less than 10 times in 11 verses. When Jesus constantly repeats himself, it's something that we need to pay attention to. Now, this word abide, what does it mean? Again, looking up in the Greek and the word meno and what does meno mean and I go into my lexicon and it tells me all the different words. And basically abide means this, it means to stay. It means to remain, to continue, to dwell, to endure. To endure, I like that one because sometimes as believers when you're doing the right thing, you have to endure because others are coming against you. Okay, so endure. A relationship with God is not one-sided. We also have to put something into that relationship. Again, what happens with a relationship on a human terms, if we don't put anything into it, it dies. So why would it be any different with our Lord and Savior? He's doing his part. Another tenor to this is that Jesus says, I am the vine. You go to a church and they say, you get saved through this church. You get saved through this pastor. You get saved through this ministry. Run. 
You get saved because you're a whatever denomination. God doesn't, he's not a card checker. When you go to the pearly gates, he doesn't say, oh yeah, you're one of the more important denominations. Come right in. No. Jesus says, I'm the vine, not the denomination, not the, the branch of Christianity, not the particular doctrine they follow. Jesus says, I am the vine. And we can never forget that. He says, I and you and you and me. Again, this is intimacy. Is our heart Christ's home? Do we allow Jesus into his heart? Because that's what he's looking for. You can almost see Jesus saying, listen, I'm giving it everything. I gave it all. I gave up my life. I'm giving you eternal life. Can I get a little commitment from you? Can I get a little sacrifice from you? Why do some give such small portions of their lives to Jesus? Why is it that in their home that the pet has more free reign than the Lord Jesus? Oh, Jesus, don't go into that closet. Oh, don't go upstairs. I haven't done my cleaning yet, and I'm talking spiritually here. That we confine Jesus to a little part of our life. Jesus says, don't be afraid, because if that room is really messy, I'll help you clean it up. Oh, we'll, we'll, come on, we'll, we'll do this together. But sometimes we, 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 we put the Lord, we put our God, we put our, our faith in a box. Some people put their faith in the measly 40 minutes that they spend at church. No. What happens to the other 167 hours in the week? That's, that's less than 1% that we would give him. Is our heart really Christ's home? No. Again, there's some places that they're not going to teach this because it's too, it's too poignant, but we have to do it justice. How much rain do we give the Lord Jesus in our lives? Because he's given us everything. Verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and are burned. So the fourth point of understanding is a consequence of refusal to abide in the vine. The Bible gives the good and the bad. And there's good news at the end. There's really good news because there's always, there's always a chance to turn it around. God never says, ah, oh, you really messed up so bad. At the age of 42, you're damned for eternity. No. He always is, gives us a chance to turn it around, to repent, to, to step up to the plate, to make that commitment all the time. And we're going to talk about that. According to the Lord, this person does his part in separating himself, in not wanting the vine, and the Lord has to do his part for the sake of the rest of the, the, the vine to cut that branch off. And look at the detail here. The person doesn't abide, so they, they were the first ones to kill that relationship. Then they're cast out, they're withered, because what, what are we without the Lord? They're withered, they're gathered with other like-minded branches, and they're burned. Pretty powerful. Now, if you follow theology, and you can look at the five-point Calvinist versus the Arminianist view of salvation... And basically, the five-point Calvinist says that uh, once saved, always saved, and once you're marked and you're one of God's elect, that there's nothing, you, you can do whatever you want. doesn't matter what, how you sin, doesn't matter how you live your life, you're, 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 the, you're marked in a good way. And there's other people that are marked for damnation. So, so you're good. Do whatever you want. That's dangerous. Because that almost gives a, a license to not abide in the vine. The Arminianist, on the other hand, on, on, the, on an extreme example, some in that group, say that basically you, every day you have to 
you know, kind of walk up to the pulpit and get resaved because you, you lose your salvation. Both of those views are extreme. Chuck Smith, I like what he said about this. And I quote, he goes, I'm eternally secure as long as I abide in Christ. And I have no plans to do otherwise, so I'm not worried about it. End of discussion. I like that. Here's the deal. Hell is a place where you never have to see God again. Now, in some, in their warped view of things, that's their warped heaven. Not wanting to have anything to do with God. But here's the problem. If we rebel against him and we turn our back on him on this earth, we're still using his food, his warmth from the sun. We're using his creation to clothe ourselves and to drive cars in. So when hell is, it becomes a reality, all that stuff is gone. So even those who are in rebellion against God, he's still merciful by letting them look at the beautiful sunny day and watch the flowers grow in the spring. That person has no idea what they're in for. No idea but it has to be spoken of. And here's the other point in the United States. I'm, I'm following these trends. Um, I watch the Weather Channel a lot. I'm, I'm a boring guy. Oh, meteorology. Look at that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, the floods. I'm looking at the storms, the tornadoes, the earthquakes. They're becoming more intense, and there's more of them. Okay? And we look at societal, societal issues, shootings, um, two subway murders in a month. How do you push somebody onto the tracks? How do you do that? Um, three cops got shot in Gloucester, a fireman got shot up in New York, uh, three bad years for law enforcement with shootings. So what do we do? Blame God. Oh, that's a great answer. See, here's the thing. We say, God, we don't want you in society. So he's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to force myself upon you. He's a gentleman. We take him out of school. Can't tell another kid, don't steal for another kid. Take them out of our courts. Do you know that there's some, the ACLU has been fighting for years, and in some courts in the United States, the courts are so old that the marble and the granite have the Ten Commandments engraved in them. And the courts have ruled them unconstitutional, so what do they do? They get a bunch of guys with plaster, and they fill in the engraving on these beautiful courts. Or they put sheets over them. So we can't tell a criminal, don't kill somebody, it's wrong. Don't steal, don't lie. And you put your hand on the Bible. What about commerce? Well, businesses get, feel that people might get offended by Merry Christmas. You can picture God saying, you know, you want to ignore me all year. Can I just get a week? You know, the Christmas season. Can I just get a week, the baby Jesus and all that stuff? Can we talk about that? No, it's offensive, God. Take them out of the schools, take them out of the courts, take them out of the business, and kick them out of the church. There's a lot of churches, Unitarians don't preach about the blood of Jesus. They don't preach about hell. They don't preach about sin because it's offensive to a lot of their members. So we kick God out of everywhere. And then when our society plummets into anarchy, we blame him. I'm sure you've heard this many times, but it's the truth. It's, it's the truth. You know? Well, listen, we as believers are still filled with the Holy Spirit. We're the remnant. And God can still use us to turn things around if we're open to it. But that's the question. Are we open to it? Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So fifth, the consequences in a good way of an abiding relationship. Number one, answered prayer. Why? Because when we're abiding in the Lord, our views start to change towards his. So when we pray for something, oh Lord, my nephew's really into drugs really bad, Lord. And I'm praying every day for your nephew. 
And then something starts to turn around. Well, that's in harmony with his will. He wants to see your nephew saved more than you do. You know, so when we start to pray, we don't say, well, I need another car, I need another addition, I need another vacation. We start to pray in line with what he says. Uh, two, bearing much fruit. So bearing fruit, bearing some fruit, now we're, we're increased to bearing much fruit. Three, God is glorified. And fourth, we become disciples. Why? By lifestyle. Now, many people have been turned off to Christians because, you know, oh, a church is filled with hypocritical Christians. Okay. In every church, there are. And probably all of us, including myself, at one time or another, has played the hypocrite. However, when we are in abiding relationship with the Lord, our lifestyle shows that we're, we're disciples by default. And that's a good thing. And he says this, three, if then, conditional statements. In other words, you have to complete the if part to get the then part. If you abide in me, if you follow my commandments, then these are the blessings. He did this in the Old Testament, and he continues to do this in the New Testament. God's not Santa Claus. He's not, you know, a genie in the bottle. He's not just going to, we're going to tell him what we want, he's going to do it. He says, if you are in a relationship with me, here's all the blessings. You know for yourselves, when you're in a relationship with somebody you love, there are blessings that come with that depending on who the person is, depending on you know, how much you know, they start to really love you and, and you become blessed and you have companionship. If you have this relationship with this wonderful person, then these are the blessings. God's no different. And we have to ask ourselves when we look at this, is God being mean? No, God wants us to be successful. See, he knows because he made us. He knows our framework. He knows what makes us tick. He wants us to be successful. Now, if I look at my life, I say I'm successful. It's not reflected in my bank account, but it's reflected in, I got a few years to teach the Bible. You know, I got to sit in, in, in my office with people and counsel them and see them get better. I've seen marriages get better. I've seen people pray and, and really start to follow the Lord, and God provides them with a job, and God provides them. So if I die today, I'm like, I'm, I'm fulfilled. I never held office. You know, I never, you know, my name wasn't on a street sign somewhere, but I'm successful. Why? Because, because I see the benefits of being used by God. And you'll see that too. You'll see that too. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So sixth, the consequences of being faithful to God's word. If then, the floodgates of love open. The floodgates of love open. Jesus is that direct conduit of love. Now, if you've been on this earth long enough and you've had relationships, maybe there's been divorce, maybe there's been estrangement from family members, or maybe you had a best friend that there was a falling out and it's, it's not repairable, okay? what you start to see is the world's love. The world's love is conditional. The world's love is not eternal. The world's love can fall off. However, when you start to see, so Jesus is saying to me, the love that the son has with the father, you can have that too. Really? Yes, that's unconditional. Yes, God loved me when I was still doing the things that I shouldn't have been doing in the world. And he even loved me when I was thumbing my nose at him and still died for my sins. That's the type of love that God's love is. See, it's like the song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. Right, that old song? That's the world's love. Do you really want to be loved? This is the way to go. 
because God's love will never leave you. See, he's already died for your sin. He's already loved you first. When you take your hand and take his, it makes that connection, and that love is inseparable. What shall separate us from the love of God, the Apostle Paul says? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. 11, last verse. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So seventh is the concept of joy. Some have used it as an acronym and said it stands for Jesus, others, and you. But let me just take what the dictionary says about joy. Pleasure, gladness, happiness, delight, satisfaction, glee, vivacity. Is anybody interested in that? (laughs) You know, I mean, the Lord's joy, wow. Because you're loved, because you have purpose, you know what your purpose is now, and it lasts for all eternity. I love this. So for the believer, we abide in Christ. We have answered prayer. We, We share in the Lord's love. We have joy, and we have his word. We have his word. So here's the question. When we, when we talk about fruit, what do we look like? What type of branch are we? This is actually beautiful vinca vine. <laughs> I mean, I've been studying a lot on vines now, wisteria, grapes, vinca, poison ivy. That's the one you don't want. That's a vine. At the end of the day, you know, when I, when I go out and back, and even in, in late December, this stuff is still beautiful. It really covers the, the landscape, you know, the ground of the back of my house. My wife's done some really beautiful things with these vines that just keep going and going and going, and they're gorgeous all year round, some of them. And I guess at the end of the day is, do we look like this, or do we look like this? Every year this bears beautiful pink and purple flowers in the spring. I'm really secure with my manhood. I can say all this kind of stuff. (laughs) I mean, she's really got me into this. I love it. You know, it's just like a sanctuary back there. So, do we look like this, or do we look like this? And even if we look like this, we still need this. So there's a little visual demonstration for you. Here's what's beautiful. If you don't look like this spiritually, you can. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take popularity. You don't have to do anything for God. You just have to abide in the vine. So don't despair. God always allows us to turn our lives around no matter where we are, no matter at what point in my life. And I've had, I, I still preach, 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 preach for years. People still come in my office and say, yeah, but let me tell you what I've done. Okay, if you really want to, and I still have the same answer every time they're done. God can use you. You know why? Because you see that you can't do it through your own strength. You see that you have a need for the Savior. You know the ones that God can't use? The ones who are so high and mighty, so accomplished that they don't see their need for a Savior. He cannot use those people because he's given us free will. They have hearts of stone. So my question to you is, do you want to bear that fruit? The answer to that, if it's yes, we're going to show you how to take that first step today before you leave this building. Let's pray.